When you hear the word art, what immediately comes to mind? Do you imagine a popular painting? Something you saw at a museum or a search online? Do you think of the artist who made it? About his struggles, his thoughts? How about the process to make the painting? The time, the money, the failure, and success? Could you dedicate yourself to it? Could you pick up a brush, a clump of clay, or a camera and sculpt anything you want? Are you an artist? Art is based entirely around perspective, how we see or want to see the world around us. It is our own language of sight, sound, touch, smell, and thought. It is the most expressive language in the world besides body language. Art is the loudest instrument in any orchestra, opera, or play, an instrument that is utilized by thousands of neurodiverse individuals whose voices are quieter than others. Wyatt is one of those voices. Wyatt is an artist and a personal friend of mine. We've known each other for quite a while, but he has been an artist long before we met. He is very adept at drawing and painting, and has grown an affinity for painting egg cartons specifically. There's something very profound about how he paints his cartons. Each spot of paint requires heavy focus. There's hesitation and factors to consider when combining colors. It's almost ritualistic watching him paint. Watching him inspect his canvas and decide what color goes where. What patterns should be present. As I watched him paint, it made me wonder what he sees that I don't. I noticed that when you watch someone work, they possess a stoic face. A face of focus, dedication, and determination. You can see something similar on the face of a cubicle worker or a lawyer, but it's not the same. This is a zone, a zone of thought where the metaphysical becomes physical where all ideas are less important than your vision. It's a foundation you build off of and create from. It is highly evident that Wyatt possesses the same zone.
Besides painting cartons, Wyatt also likes to paint portraits of various sizes, all of which possess a mix of surrealist coloring and abstract realism. They're all very wonderful. Each one is more lively than the last. And once you've seen one, you can't help but not see the rest. It's very much a collage of ideas, various images of perspective, various objects and scenes seen in different ways. It's not just a gallery of the same picture with different colors. They're all different and appear like they're all part of Wyatt's experiment to make the perfect painting. While filming this short film, Wyatt has taught me that art isn't just a hobby, nor a job. It's a lifestyle. It's something that you dedicate yourself to do, to make something you, and others, find beautiful. Hi audience, it's Stephen Gaber, the Autistic Traveler, and today I'm going to give you a tour of the Grammy Museum. Enjoy the music and the Grammys. Welcome to the Grammy Museum. The Grammy Museum is an interactive educational museum devoted to the winners of the Grammys. The museum has interactive touchscreens, video recording booths, and historic artifacts, including costumes and instruments and audio and visual recordings as well as handwritten notes from the artists themselves. Interesting, isn't it? In addition to the famous Grammy Museum in downtown Los Angeles, there is a museum in Cleveland, Mississippi, who knew everyone, as well as in Memphis, Tennessee, and a Grammy Museum experience in Newark, New Jersey. Interesting coincidence, the Grammy Museum opened up in December 2008 and coincided to the 50th Grammy anniversary. In addition to the Grammy Museum, this place has held over 300 educational events, including programs for young students who want to become artists. Wow, look at the famous Michael Jackson. Interesting fact, you know, anyone who's been to downtown LA Live, the movie This Is It was the first movie that premiered at the Regal there. And I worked at the Regal in Calabasas at the time, and I remember it being advertised like crazy LA Live. What a great promotion. This place focuses on a music event such as Metallica. Look at some of the suits from musical legends such as Beyonce and Whitney Houston. Much like other museums, the Grammy likes to change exhibits. Some exhibits have included the Cirque du Soleil show from the Beatles, Bob Marley, James Brown, Barbara Streisand, the history of heavy metal, Whitney Houston, Rango Starr, Backstreet Boys, Amy Winehouse, Wow, you see the Mike Kerb thing over there? 
You know, I went to CSUN and there was a college called the Mike Herb Center of the Arts, which hosted my alum mater, and I got a degree in screenwriting from CSUN. So now we are exploring Peggy Lee. Wow, she lived an interesting life. Look at some of her accomplishments. Her most noticeable one was Lady in the Tramp. And now look at Bob Marley, a family of his legacy. If you're lucky, you might get to see a special guest such as John Legend and others perform for their fans. And of course, members get priority over non-members. I mean, look at the awards these artists won for best records. I'd be happy if this video won an award. I hope you will appreciate my video so I can win an award like them. Looks like the Grammys decided to get the Latin artist a chance by advertising their work and showing what they're made of and what inspired them to be the musicians that they are today. And Latins do a good job at performing and they make their audiences really happy. The Latin community have been composing for the Grammy Museum for over 20 years and this focuses on some of their accomplishments that got them their Grammys. Latin music has had an international influence and they feel honored to be partners with the Grammy Museum according to CEO Gabriel Aroa Jr. Some of the artists who are honored include R Ricky Martin, Luis Fuozzi, Juan Gabriel, Alejandro Sanz, and Julieta Venegas. I guess this is the award ceremony that the Grammys based on giving their artists their awards. I mean, look at the red carpet event. One day I hope to be in, uh, on the red carpet for the Oscars, or in this case, the autism community. I hope to win a video with my documentaries, with me being me presenting my awards. Look at this exhibit that has to do with a lot of controversial issues that are happening today, such as defunding the police because of what happened with George Floyd two years ago. Like now they're talking about the 1965 Watts. I hope you had a good time with me at the Grammy Museum. Do yourself a favor. Instead of drive and spend money on gas, take the Metro. It's cheaper and more energy efficient. Even me coming from Orange County, I take the Metro partially after 30 miles of driving there. there. On the Harbor Transit line. Thank you, audience, for enjoying the Grammy Museum. I hope you got an idea of some of this music and what inspired it. I had a good time taking you here. This is a story about a boy named Mace. Mace lived in a small town where everyone's hair was gray. Not only was everyone's hair gray, but so was everything around. The sidewalks, the houses, and even the sky was gray. Except Mace, whose hair was bright yellow. When Mace was born, his parents were surprised that he had yellow hair and knew that he was full of magic. They tried to help Mace to fit in with the gray-haired people, but they knew that Mace was born to do something special. Mace was so kind that he didn't notice when people treated him different, until one day when Mace tried to join the gray sidewalk painting team. 
What no one knew is that out in the confusion and loneliness, a magic was starting to grow. Maze had a superpower, and the secret wasn't his yellow hair, it was his open heart. Everyone who saw the colorful sidewalk and Mace's hard work and yellow hair suddenly understood what was missing. Their eyes were open to all the beauty that had been free from them all along if they could just accept the differences. That day the town began to change and the magic became real. Mace no longer felt unaccepted because the gray-haired townspeople Learn to love each other's differences. This is a story for everyone. Color your world, be yourself, be kind, and don't ever be afraid to shine. to New York tomorrow because my short film, The Home Office, is going to be shown at the Marvel of Media Awards at the Museum of the Moving Image. All right, we just finally arrived in New York at the, um, the JFK Airport. of Media Mockumentary Award goes to Danny Bowman. So, hi, I am Danny Bowman. I am the founder and chief executive officer of Denimation Entertainment, an animation company that I started when I was 14 years old. And yes, I have autism. I started Denimation because I wanted to show my neurodiverse peers that anything is possible. Because, you see, I realized that everyone needs role models. You can't be it if you can't see it. We at Denimation are here to represent our autism and neurodiverse community to show the world that, yes, we can and that we are capable if we are given the opportunity. Our challenge was to come up with a five minute short film in just five days. Out of 94 films entered worldwide to Easter Seals, we won for best editor. It was so amazing that our team of 12, nine who are or were my Danny Nation students 
on the autism spectrum. We all came from different parts of the world, including England, Florida, Arizona, and California to produce this film via Zoom during the pandemic, and our entire team stepped up to the plate. So we have our, I have three team members on stage with me, Brenna Berner, who is the writer, and we have, and we have Keaton Bicknell, who did the original score and also voiced two characters, the manager and Marco the Elf, and Morgan Knapp, one of my animation students, who animated and provided sounds for her character, the HR Dragon. Our other team members that are not here are the animators and the students, Archer Rito, Mark Matawad, Kira M, and Phoebe Clark, the background designer, Delane Owen, our neurotypical story editor and animator, Christopher Castillo, and our assistant editor and special effects artist, Paul Gomez. I usually enter different film challenges with my students in order to teach them how to work in teams and meet deadlines. It's just part of what we do at Denimation. Thank you again for allowing us to be here so that others like us and the world can see what we can do. You can't be it if you can't see it. If someone would have told me 16 years ago when I first found out that I had autism, that I would be standing on that stage, receiving an award on behalf of my company, Danny Mation, and my animation students, I would have thought they were crazy. How could a girl who was nonverbal till age six and was diagnosed with classical autism and verbal apraxia, who was told that she would never amount to anything, accomplish this? How could this girl have her film displayed at the Museum of the Moving Image in New York? How could she create a company who now has worked with over 2,000 students? How could she develop a program for one-on-one -on -one students? How could she employ people with autism? How could she teach animation at many summer animation camps worldwide? Would you have believed it? I know I wouldn't have. Sometimes I still have to pinch myself. I am Dini Bowman, founder and CEO of Dini Mation Entertainment. We at Dini Mation entertain, educate, elevate, and employ people with autism with a goal to help them learn to turn their passion into a career. Hopefully, it will be animation, but it doesn't have to be. We just want to make it better for them. In my next segment, I will talk about how I got to be where I am today. So ignite the magic with us at denimationentertainment.com or follow us on our social media. Hello, my name is Jordan. I like anime, manga, my favorite color is purple, oh, and I love to draw. I'm nice and loyal to others, I respect, you know, people's needs. I try to be a good friend and care for them, you know, when they're having a bad day. When I draw, I wish my drawings could come to life and use their powers to help others. 
One night I had this dream that I was in a cave. I walked deep in this dark cave and I saw a wise old man. He walked up to me and said, The chosen one is you. But with greater power comes greater responsibility. The old man then disappeared into dust. I woke up and saw something strange on a night table next to me. It was a magic purple pencil. A bright light was shining on it. All of a sudden, a voice out of nowhere said, The chosen one is you. You are now the master of the magic pencil. Use it wisely. With this new power, I will draw heroes to help save the world. I will unleash the power within me, helping my family, my friends, anyone in need. I love my life. Yes! Used to be scared of fireworks, they were loud and booming. I was once scared of creepy movies. You were such a good friend when you put your arm around me. You told me everything would be alright. Now we Cheers to healing and 
autism does not have a look. And I, I just think it's always funny when people say that, because I'd love to know like what their description of autism would be. There's just, there's just not a look. Hey everyone, my name is Carrie Magra, a professional speaker and author. I have autism and also dysgraphia, and I'm really, really excited to be here with a very special guest. Uh, her name is Olivia Hops. She is a 25-year-old autistic entrepreneur from San Diego, California. We're going to deep dive into uh, some of the things that she's currently doing today for a podcast called Stories from the Spectrum Content by and for a neurodiverse world. Olivia, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on. So Olivia, there are obviously so many misconceptions in the autism community. And a lot of the times people say things that they really shouldn't be saying. <laughs> the, oh, well, you must be really high functioning, you know, like, oh, you don't look it. And then, so you must be really high functioning, which it's kind of a backhanded compliment, in my opinion, I, I'm sure you agree, because they're basically saying, you know, oh, okay, you have autism, but it must not be that bad. It must not affect you that badly, because you can appear so normal, even though they, they have no idea that we're masking and everything that we go through. So that's, yeah, the next one that can be, yeah, pretty irritating, for sure. Um, Another thing I'd say number three would be don't um, don't ask if we were vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a personal question. It's like who, yeah. it's like even regardless of autism, who is like brings that that up, especially with COVID-19. It's like we're not going. It's like, have you been vaccinated? Have you got the booster? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. I know it's it's a medical question. It's personal. It's private. And obviously there's no research linking being vaccinated with having autism. Uh, I don't even know how that got started, really. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of silly and shows that they're very uneducated. Um, and, you know, it's just like I always say, my mom says too, like I came out <laughs> how I am, like no, no external factor like changed me along the way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so don't do that. Uh, number four, I'd say um, don't, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of another bad one. Yeah, there, there, there's some crazy ones out there in our community. You hit three really good ones. I mean, oh, like, yes. oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Another one um, is when they say like, oh, you must have been misdiagnosed. Like you need a second, second opinion. Like, okay. <laughs> you're not a doctor and you know nothing about me or if you do it's just what I'm presenting to you on purpose um, because I can mask so well so yeah that those those are definitely irritating ones do, do you have a fifth one that I've missed that is really bad yeah I mean you hit the nail on the head I mean I I think all four of those I mean make a lot of sense I I think other than that, it's like the, the whole sense of like, oh, you have autism, but you look so normal. And I yes. just think to myself, like, what, what is normal supposed <laughs> yeah. to look like? What, what, yes. what, what are we supposed to do with, with that yes. conversation? Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so no, I absolutely agree. So Olivia, so obviously, and obviously there's so many things you shouldn't say, but 
there are also some great, like, I, I mean, there's some great books, there's some great films out there in our autism community coming out today. The entertainment world is kind of uh, really seeing autism and being able to highlight a lot more, especially uh, right now in 2022. What, what, are, what, what are some of like your recommendations? What, what is something you're reading right now, maybe? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so... When I first discovered that I may be autistic, uh, the first thing I did was order a book called Girls by Rudy Simone. Um, really awesome book. I really liked it. It was a very easy read. Olivia, who are some advocates you currently look up to in, in the community? Are, are, are there anyone that you're following on social media, maybe? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, Foremost, I follow you, and you're of course one of my favorite advocates. What Aimless you do is plug. incredible, Aimless and <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. It's it's not just because you're interviewing me. I, I completely mean it. Uh, I I love always getting to chat with you. You're so knowledgeable, and so you're awesome. Uh, so very much you. Um, I also follow some some YouTubers that I really like. Um, I I follow um, someone. I'm not sure what her real name is um I mean possibly let's see her YouTube it's it's really grown it's one of the first YouTube channels that actually um watched when I first thought that I may have autism and she goes by the name oh her name is Sam her name is Sam um yo Sam D Sam and cool. she is British, but she lives in the Netherlands, I believe. And uh, she's awesome. She's super, super valuable um, information and videos. And she does a lot about girls on the spectrum. Another one, another YouTuber, um, the Aspie World, his name's Dan. He's super uh, awesome. And he talks, he, he has, yes, yes, he's awesome. So, and he has a lot of resources on girls too, which is awesome. And, and then somebody that I'd, I'd like to, um, mention, um, is, uh, a YouTuber. And unfortunately he, um, he passed away and, um, just in December, but I, I'd love to mention him because I, his videos were some of the first that I watched as well when I first discovered that I may be autistic and he really inspired me to go down the diagnosis path and start my own YouTube and his name was Indy Andy on on YouTube and he's um, from England as well so his videos are still up and super super um, resourceful and amazing so I highly recommend checking him out. I kind of mentioned before we jumped on about girl autism so talk a little bit about just like what you're hearing about in the community and why this is such a popular topic right now. Yeah, I think it's such a popular topic because finally more and more women and girls are getting diagnosed and it's become a buzz topic because we're finally realizing, you know, what autism really looks like in girls and like, oh, holy moly, we've really missed a lot of now grown women that grew up their whole lives and have lived their whole lives without knowing that they were autistic, how their brain works. And, you know, I get comments on my YouTube videos all the time from people or women specifically of 
all ages uh, getting diagnosed in their 60s or 70s, 80s. And it's like, that's so awesome. But it's also really frustrating and sad because these women had to live their whole lives without knowing. And so I just think there needs to be more and more research done on girls and get, you know, doctors and specialists better educated on what autism in girls looks like so that one, more and more women can figure themselves out like I did at 24 and two so that younger girls can get diagnosed when they're children so they don't have to go through all the trauma and unknowing um, while growing up unknowingly autistic. Yeah. So Olivia, tell us how we can learn more about you after we jump off today. What are the social media channels we should follow and you just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I'd love for you to check out my YouTube channel, which is just under my name, Olivia Hops. You can follow me on Instagram at Olivia Hops, and you can check out my website, which is OliviaHops.org. And on that website, uh, you can purchase my cookie dough business course I was talking about and just learn a little bit more about how to be an entrepreneur as an autistic adult. Awesome. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, everyone tuning in. Stories from the Spectrum, content by and for a neurodiverse world. And we'll see you next time. When I was a kid, it seemed like everything I did something that no one quite understood I'm a grown man now But I still feel somehow Sometimes it seems my efforts are no good Cause I act As goofy as I did back then but I comprehend They're too complex for the average mind And that is why sometimes I find I need some way to identify who I am Asperger's It's funny sounding word Asperger's It might seem absurd
I've been reaching for the sky for years and years But I still don't feel quite fully grown Asperger's, it's a funny sounding word Asperger's, it might seem absurd and from what I've heard It might mean that I'm a nerd But I live with it and that's the way I always wanted to be Welcome back! Now I'm going to talk about how I got to be where I am today. I was nonverbal until I was five years old. Well, almost six. At that time, all I did was repeat words and sounds. It is called ecolalia. My family now jokes that I started speaking at six and haven't shut up ever since. As a child, my mom figured out on her own that I had autism by reading tons of books because the internet was just getting started at that time. She recognized some of the autism signs like spinning around, repetitive movements, and strange noises I made. I used to line things up and I'd climb everywhere I could climb. She would often find me way on top of the tall bookcase we used to have. Luckily, it was fastened to a wall. There were many challenges that followed when I was finally diagnosed and my family were told not to expect much from me, that I would never have friends, that I would never finish high school or have a career, along with many more dreadful outcomes that my family should prepare for. In March 2009, my company Mation Entertainment was fully launched with the assistance from my aunt and uncle. My original goal for Mation was to just be like many major studios like Disney or Warner Brothers. However, I encountered the grim statistics of people with disabilities. It was unacceptable because I knew those statistics applied to me, so I changed my focus. The same year when I launched Mation, my family introduced me to Toon Boom Studio and Adobe Premiere Elements to help me better animate and edit. At first, my uncle showed me the basics of using Toon Boom. Since I was used to other softwares like Amos Paint and Adobe Photoshop, I quickly learned how to use Toon Boom. Within a couple of weeks, I already learned way more than my uncle could teach me. Because my uncle is an entrepreneur himself, 
he explained to me the business side and the importance of partnerships. In the fall of 2009, I began my partnership with Joey Travolta's Inclusion Films. Joey Travolta was the one who gave me the first animation gig, my first animated short Ia story. I also got to work on a couple of projects at Inclusion Films, like the animation segments for a music video called The Cave by Scott Seagull's band Arrest My Sister. I illustrated and published two books, Danny and Goliath and Richie and Goliath, animated an anti-bullying PSA called Heroes Only Exist in Cartoons, and an opening sequence for a show called Nia's Makeup Corner, along with many others. In the summer of 2011, Joey Travolta invited me to teach animation to children and teens with autism across the country at film camps in Jacksonville, Florida, Tenafly, New Jersey, and Detroit, Michigan. Then the next year at San Diego and Moraga, California. I owe a lot to Joey Travolta. He has helped me be where I am today. Later, since 2012, I branched out on my own to teach animation at OCALI, the Ohio Center for Autism and Low Incidence in Columbus, Ohio, then at the Center for Autism and Dyslexia in Finley, Ohio. Then, in 2014, I began to teach Arts for All Florida's Animation Gets Real in Tampa, Florida, which later expanded its locations to Miami, Florida's North Dade since 2017 and South Dade since 2019. So far, I have taught over 2,500 youth with autism at over 12 locations, including the Danimation UK camp at the University of Plymouth in 2019. It was right before the pandemic began in 2020, where I quickly had to transition from teaching animation in person to online. Today, we are providing free weekly classes and one-on-one -on -one sessions on Zoom for transitioning youth with different abilities, including autism. This year in 2022, we are finally bringing back in-person animation summer camps. I also spoke and keynoted at autism events like the FRED Conference, the National APSI Conference, and OCallyCon in 2014, Temple Grandin and Friends at Club Nokia, and the Oklahoma Statewide Autism Conference in 2015, the Alaska Autism Resource Center Roadshow in 2016 and in 2017, the Autism and the Arts Conference at Damon College in 2017, and most recently, ABC of North Carolina's Gourmet Lunchbox Luncheon in 2021, just to name a few. In addition to teaching animation and public speaking, so far I've illustrated and published six books and produced a total of 13 short films, 10 of them that premiered at San Diego Comic-Con, including the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge Editor Award-winning short, The Home Office. How did I get my students to be part of the challenges like Easter Seals? Some are from my summer animation camps and others are from my one-on-one -on -one sessions. First, I examine the student's strength, provide the classes that will improve their biggest strength, and see if they're capable of animating a one-minute short film. Once we find or develop the student's strength, we put students into animation challenges teaching them the importance of teamwork and deadlines. After we won for Best Editor, the Disability Film Challenge 
has opened so many opportunities. One is an invitation to submit via Film Freeway, our film The Home Office, to the Marvels of Media Awards at the Museum of the Moving Image. And we were selected! That's how I got this film to be shown at the Museum of the Moving Images Marvels of Media exhibit. This year, my team of 18 people, including my students at Animation, entered the 2022 Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge in the theme of superheroes. This film is called Super Nacho Supreme. It is about two guys about to embark on another chill night of gaming and grubbing on the couch. After they ate those weird gas station nachos that grant them superpowers, the boys suit up and set out to save the day their way. But when they try to do good, they're so bad at it. You can see it at the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge YouTube channel, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's coming to film festivals near you. Fast forward today, I've overcame many obstacles to earn my BFA in animation and an MBA in Global Strategy and Leadership in 2020 from Woodbury University. Now I am striving to get my PhD in Positive Developmental Psychology, focusing on autism with a thesis on how my animation company made a positive impact to the autism community. One last thing to say, remember, push yourself because no one is going to do it for you. However, that does not mean you cannot get help and assistance from others. Nobody does it alone. Get a strong team behind you of people that really believe in you and your mission. Go to many events and conferences to help you build your passion. And don't listen to the naysayers. If they say you cannot do this or you cannot do that, just look straight at them and say, Yes, I can and I will. Just watch me. So my advice to all of you, if you don't have a passion, find one. And it's okay to ask for help. Remember, anything is possible. If I can convert my passion into a career, so can you. For more information about our animation workshops and one-on-one -on -one sessions, ignite the magic with us at denimationentertainment.com or follow us on our social media. Hi, my name is Ian. My dream is to work for Disney one day. I like being creative through theater and animation. I want to be married someday, find true love, and just be happy in life. But this year, times have been tough. Because of that, I want to tell stories to help make people happy and help them stay positive. What's that? I walked to the door, and there's a postman. Not the normal postman, but a different postman. He says, Are you Ian? I have a special delivery for you. Here you go, sir. And he hands me a letter. I think things are going to look up for you soon. He says, and links. The envelope reads, your happiness awaits. I open up the envelope and out drops a beautiful stylus. As I hold it, I feel ideas beginning to flow through me. I start drawing, and once I've started, I can't stop. My stories begin to come to life and inspire me. This is what makes me happy. Watch out world, here comes happiness.
Hi, I'm Spencer Har, and this is Heart to Heart. I'm so excited to introduce you to my first ever guest, a very special guest, voice actor Andrew Russell. Yeah, woohoo! The crowd goes wild. <sighs> Welcome to Heart to Heart, Andrew. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to see you. Andrew is, a, is an incredible voice actor. He voices the blue hair, guitar playing superhero, Luca Convent on the hit TV show, Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Yeah, Luca's the best. He's my favorite character. Hey, there you go. You got the shirt on. Way to go. I didn't prepare. Wait, no, I do have this hat. Look at this hat. <laughs> It's a it's a miraculous ladybug culture fly hat, but I have headphones on, so I can't wear it. It'll mess up my hair. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, Spencer. No problemo. Hey. Great to have you. I'm super oh, speaking of, wait, first of all, um, everybody should know that Spencer has has been a really awesome person in my life uh thus far and made me this awesome pin. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that. There it is. It's a little Luca pin. Wait, hold on. It'll 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 clear up there. Um, it's a little Luca pin. You see that? And I keep this pin close to my side, right over here. I have a little Luca shrine with little trinkets that people have given me over the years of my favorite things, and that's one of them. And I keep it close by. That's so awesome. Yeah, I love it. If you haven't seen the show, if you haven't seen the show yet. You, you're really missing out. It got everything. I love squares, superheroes, villains, music, a lot of an emotional highs and lows. It really got all. Can you tell a little bit about the show and character you play, that you play? I, absolutely. So Miraculous Ladybug is an amazing show that has brought so much life and joy to so many people around the world. Um, it follows the adventure of Ladybug and Cat Noir, and the character that I play, his name is Luca Coffein, and he is actually, uh, he's also holds a miraculous called Viperion. And basically, what happens in the show is you see Marinette and you see uh, Cat Noir or Adrian go through all their adventures, and they have a bunch of friends and sidekicks and all kinds of people. And Luca is one of those people. He's one of the close friends of both Marinette and Adrian. And I've been in the show for four years now. It's been pretty great. Wow. And where where can people watch the show? They can watch it uh, all over the place, really. They can watch it on YouTube, on Netflix. Uh, I'm sure it's on Disney somewhere floating around. They, they can find it all over the internet. Just take a look and search around on your favorite uh, way to consume videos and media. Season four had ended. It should, with a shot of cliffhanger. Are you working on it now? Are you working on season five? Oh, uh, I am working on season five. And it's, it's, I got to tell you, I was blown away by what they did at the end of season four. It was really, really cool. And there was a lot of like mystery and, and things happening around what happens with my character, Luca, and what he knows and what uh, other people do don't know without giving anything away. And, um, Really, I'm looking forward to seeing in season five if if we develop that at all and like what happens next, because 
there's so much potential of what's going to happen. I, I am so excited to share with you guys. Can you give us a little teaser what what's going to happen? Uh, maybe this is for the hardcore miraculous ladybug fans. Maybe the cucumber will remake an appearance. Woo! I love you. <laughs> I'm a cucumber. <laughs> hey, you nailed that. That was a great impression. I know you're in the in a, in a game called Genshin Impact. It's a really popular video game right now. I'm playing it too. Are you working on anything else right now? That's awesome. Yes, I am. I actually have a session today and on Monday for a really popular game. I can't tell you what it is because I signed what we call NDAs, a non-disclosure agreement where I can't really talk about it until it comes out. So this is a really exciting game uh, that I'm going to be sharing with you. Um, but I will tell you, it's kind of like in the world of like Genshin Impact. I loved working on Genshin Impact. I actually played a bunch of characters over a variety of different sessions for that game. Um, you can find me all throughout the world. Uh, I actually got to voice um, the character. His name is Yosurf, which is uh, this little boy's lost dad. And it was really funny because um, I stream games on Twitch sometimes. And when I first started playing Genshin Impact, I found the little boy in the game. And I didn't know that I was going to play his dad. And I started going on an adventure. And in this adventure, you find these journals, right? And these journals, like, they have stories. And the dad's like telling like oh man I'm, I'm climbing up the mountain and i hope that i hope that i make it okay i love my family stuff like that on my twitch stream i was just playing around reading the lines as if i was his dad who at the time wasn't in the game and then when i got cast into the game i went into the to the session and the casting director and the director said you're going to be playing yosurf who's the lost boy's dad and i was like did i will this into existence what happened it was amazing. So I had a great time doing Genshin Impact. That was a lot of fun. Do you like voice acting, voice voicing animated shows or video games more? I, that's a tough question because I really enjoy animation for a lot of the high energy, over the top, like really fun character -y sort of work. And then I love video games because they're much more um, they're much more grounded in a cinematic universe. So Things like uh, Genshin or even this game that I made called Lost Ark, it's very uh, cinematic in their storytelling, although the character is still really heightened and really like over the top dramatic sometimes, uh, that character still lives in a very grounded place. So approaching it from an actor's perspective, it's much more challenging and much more uh, exciting for me to play a video game character because I get to really dive into like a the voice of a umarian dwarf in the distant lands of arcasia or you know a, you know a goofy character but i have to make them realistic and that's a challenge it's very difficult but it's a lot of fun how do you become a, a voice actor do you always want to be a voice actor isn't it isn't it your dream of course yeah i i've always wanted to do voice work when i was in seventh grade Actually, I started playing video games a lot and something clicked like that in my brain once I was playing a game and I heard the characters and I said, those are people getting paid to be voice actors like this is a career. 
And from that moment forward, I started looking at video games in the perspective of an actor's perspective. I started listening to the way that they're doing things and doing all that stuff. So all my years of doing theater and musical theater was all leading me to try to learn and hone in on my craft and get to the point where I could be a voice actor. And that's where I am now. And I love it. And I, I think anybody who wants to do it, what they have to do is just start working on things now start practicing now and there's no time like the present there's no better time to look on youtube there's all kinds of resources on tiktok and all that stuff as long as you're really hyper focusing and looking for the content that you want to be looking for you can learn how to do anything right now so i say go for it now we're gonna play a little game called this or that it helps our audience to get to know you better i shout out two things and you can pick one You'd like the best. Okay. Great. Pizza or burgers? Uh, pizza. Summer or winter? Summer. Sweet or savory? Ooh, uh, ooh, uh, sweet. Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. 100%. High tops or low top shoes? Low tops. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my guest today, Andrew. I think you are really awesome and super talented. And it's, it was an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Spencer. It's really, really the pleasure is mine. I'm so happy you asked me to be here. No problemo. I, lo um, I love you. Mwah. Hi, my name is Chris Tenney. I am an actor and stand-up comic. I've been in dozens of commercials, a few films, and I've performed at a few comedy clubs in Southern California. Oh, and I am also autistic. Now, I love going to professional car shows because uh, in addition to seeing all the new models before they hit the showroom floor, there's also the concept cars you don't get to see anywhere else. And those are some real nice ones. But... I also like going to the, you know, the amateur ones where they bring their pristine classics or their rat rods or even sometimes their scratch-built customs. But either way, I get to see under their hoods, you know, talk to some of the owners. And, uh, you know, I'd like to take you on a little tour of some footage I shot the last time I was there. Hey, okay. here's the first car and one of our regulars, a 1972 Datsun 240T with a small block Chevy V8 in it. In addition to that, it's also got a little spoiler and funny little stickers like V8 inside or uh, Hybrid 240Z, burns gasoline and rubber. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Oh, and it's also got a nice little roll cage. And here we have a uh, Corvette. Not much to say about it. This one looks pretty stuck, except for maybe the paint job. So we'll move on to the Trans Am next to it. Not much to say about that one, admittedly, but it's also got a very nice interior and is also one of our regulars. Looks to be a 79 model, I think. Yeah, definitely a 79. 
And, uh, let's see, looks, Kathy's, may or may not be a Dodgers fan, but the, but either way, definitely a nice car. Possibly custom interior, too. And of course, there's some funny little fuzzy dice there. <laughs> Can't have a classic car without fuzzy dice. <laughs> and, uh, next to that, we have a, uh, Ford Fairlane, Crown Victoria. Looks to be a resto mod, judging by the wheels and the steering wheel. So, uh, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. Good old chrome and two-tone paint. Hard to go wrong with that look. Probably a 56 mile, actually. Definitely 56. Oh, and of course we have one of those old Ford two-door sedans. Another resto mod by the looks of it. And uh, there are these little side windows with some very tasteful etchings on them, little flowers. I think those were aftermarket options in the in those days. Probably got them now. Still a gorgeous car, regardless. And here we have a Mitsubishi Eclipse convertible. Not much to say about that. But the MG next to it, that's a beauty. And it may or may not be imported, which is weird because of the... Oh, and the National Rambler Wagon. That's always nice. And, of course, there's a uh, another Crown Vic. Can't tell if it's a rat rod or if it's just a restoration in progress, though. Then we got to speak with the owner. But next to that, we have a very nice Malibu Super Sport convertible. Nice black color, white interior. Oh, cream, I think. But yeah, definitely gorgeous. Ah, uh, and of course, there's what I tried to film on the side, so sorry about that. On to the uh, car next to it, we have a Studebaker. Probably a Hawk of some kind, but the hood is kind of throwing me off, so it might be something different entirely, maybe a different year. I don't know. Definitely a Studebaker, though. I know, I know that. And speaking of Studebaker... We have an Avanti next to it. Avantis were, you know, there's a whole thing about them, but this model was built on a uh, 2005 Ford Mustang chassis. And unfortunately, uh, the company would go into bankruptcy a year later, just like its parent company, Studebaker. Shame, really. Beautiful cars. Oh, and here we have a 1957 Chevrolet Nomad. You know, a station wagon version of the venerable 1957 Bel Air sedan and coupe. And convertible. I don't think many of the Nomads were made in comparison to Bel Air. Can't remember. Eh, I'll have to look it up later. But uh, either way, it looks mostly stock, save for the wheels and steering wheel. I think the engine might be stock too, but heavily modded. Oh, look, there's an aftermarket tachometer. Neat. And of course, fuzzy dice, because, as I mentioned earlier, can't have a classic without fuzzy dice. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is. And that's definitely a clean engine bay, regardless. Oh, and another Nomad. This looks to be a panel wagon version. I'm like, but, uh, yeah, definitely a panel wagon version. Guy's probably a rod, you know, drag racer. Oh, and of course, there's some really nice... 
uh, zoomies coming out the bottom near the back tires absolute beauty gorgeous cream color too can't tell if the panel van's a custom thing or not but what else oh and of course we have a nice hot rod ah real beauty nice black I don't remember much but I talked to the owner real nice guy you know Works at the VA, served in Nam. Real fun guy from what I could tell. I think he, I can't tell if he built it, can't remember if he built it recently or not, but. Oh, there's a very lovely current gen chart, Allinger. It's got that uh, really nice Hellcat logo on the rear quarter. Oh, and of course there's a 1974 AMC AMX Javelin. Or was it AMC AMX Javelin? Either way. This thing still looks as stock as the day it rolled off the assembly line. So yeah, credit where it's due for the owner managing that. And of course it's a, you know, a real nice car in its own right. And of course next to that, we have ourselves. Oh wow, that was a nice interior. <laughs> yeah. And of course next to that, we have what looks to be a Restomod Camaro. Or at least I'm assuming it's Restomod, judging by the modern wheels and brake pads. But yeah, actually I'm pretty sure that's a Restomod. Real beauty. I can't tell what that shade of blue is though, but I like it. What does that mean, Restomod? Oh, Restomod is basically a, where you restore a car with a number of modern components. You know, new brakes. Oh, and uh, here we have a, let's see, and here we have a Mustang Fastback. Most likely a, you know, a regular Mustang, but it could be a GT350. But uh, definitely a beauty either way. Got that nice bullet green, but you know, it's not exactly the bullet Mustang. Not the right wheels. And it's got the Shelby stripes on it. Real beauty. Oh, and uh, speaking of Shelby... It's got uh, you know, one or two stickers you know, regarding him, Carol Shelby. And when you say Bullet uh, Mustang, what do you mean? Oh, uh, the Mustang from the movie Bullet. You know, that certain green. Oh, there's a, you know, a T-Bucket hot rod. T-Buckets are basically built from uh, Model T's. They're whole replicas now. And I'm pretty sure that's like a replica considering they haven't made the Model T in, like, what, 80, 90, maybe even 100 years? But it's always possible that might have been passed down through the family, but I'm willing to bet it's most likely a replica. Oh, and of course, here we have a 1957 Ford Thunderbird. Pretty much everything is stock. Not a single ounce of uh, you know, new stuff except for the interior, but even then, that's, uh, you know... That's a factory color, at least according to the owner. You know, I got to talk with him. He managed to do a good job with this one. Even the vintage radio and radio antenna works. Which is pretty much awesome in itself. Because I don't think that is easy at all. And that's the end of that particular tour. I hope you enjoyed seeing cars old and new and I hope I sparked an interest for you. Here's to hoping I'll see you at the next show.
a lot of times girls and women on the spectrum hear this. Um, that's, you know, an, an area that I work in as well. And oftentimes, oh, you know, you can't have autism, you, you're a girl. Um, and again, that is just out of the diagnostic ratio of four to one with more boys than girls being diagnosed. Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Carrie Magra, professional speaker and author. I have autism and also have dysgraphia, and this is Stories from the Spectrum, and I am here with a very, very special guest. She's also a dear friend. Her name is Amy Graffino, and Amy, why don't you just tell us a, a little bit about yourself as we're kicking off today? Sure, Carrie. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy Gravino, as Carrie said, and I am a relationship coach in the Rutgers Center for Adult Autism Services and an autism sexuality advocate and professional public speaker. What are some things, and maybe like if you could give me like four or five things that you shouldn't say to somebody who's on the autism spectrum based on your experiences? Sure. So, I mean, there's been so many things that have been said to me over the years that I wish people would not say. And things I hear people say to autistic individuals, whether it's their child or their student, that, you know, people oftentimes have their hearts in the right places, but their mouths are in the wrong places. Um, and a lot of it, I think, ties into the expectations that we have or don't have for people on the spectrum. So, um, you know, saying to someone, um, oh, you know, you're so smart. I would never know that you had autism until you said something. That's something that's been said to me, you know, and that that's not helpful because I mean, I'm harder on myself than anybody, of course, but um, it, you know, make, it makes me feel like I should be able to do things that either I can't necessarily do or that I need to learn how to do. And then I feel frustrated that I can't do those things. And then, and then I feel afraid I'm going to let everybody down. So, you know, also, uh, you, you, well, you're autistic. You have, you, you're not capable of empathy. And that's something that was written about me as, as a child. It was written by a mental health professional um, saying, you know, uh, Amy does not understand empathy uh, and, and, you know, has no sense of humor. And I was nine years old when these things were written about me. I was nine. I was a child. And this person decided this about me. Um, and I think that just speaks to a general theme of not making, you know, proclamations at all about autistic people because we tend to have this, you know, preconceived idea that when somebody's diagnosed, if they're, if they're a child, for example, that that's where they're always going to be, that autistic people can't grow and change. And that's not true. It's, it's simply not true. So, you know, and, and for many mental health professionals, they are informing parents' perceptions of their children. So you have to be very careful about saying these things, not just to an autistic child, but to, to their parents, to, you know, anybody who is going to be shaped and informed by what you write. The, 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 the team at the school that works with the child, you know, the paraprofessionals and the speech pathologists and whoever else. We, we have to just be so, so careful. And, um, and again, I think that just speaks to an overarching theme. With, I see this with lots of adults talking about autistic people when they're in the room as if they can't hear them. Or in the room. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Well, and, the, 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 the that, whole idea about the whole idea about empathy—it's just I, some of the kids I work with and some of the adults who are close friends with me all on the spectrum are some of the most empathetic people I've ever met. So being able to be mindful of that, I think, it's really, really important. So, Amy, so obviously you have a wide range of expertise in the world of autism. For parents, educators, and just our, our general society, what would be some books, some films, maybe? that you would recommend to people to learn a little bit more about autism? 
Sure. So, I mean, when I think about, you know, autism in, in any kind of media representation, I think, you know, with, with films and TV that there isn't any one movie or TV show that's really nailed it yet in terms of representing autism. Um, I mean, we are starting to see a shift, I think, a little bit in, in some depictions. We have, as, you know, Carrie can tell you, Love on the Spectrum is coming out, the U.S. version. It was originally in Australia. And what I like about that is that it is showing autistic people as they authentically are. You know, this is, I mean, we know that there is an element of scripting to some reality TV shows, but autistic people are, are genuine people, I think, by and large. And so we're, we're getting something that's very refreshing, and that is people representing themselves and being, you know, who they are, uh, barring any editing, you know, uh, you know, shenanigans. But, yeah, um, like the you know, in terms of <laughs> fictional, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, in terms of fictional depictions, I... I don't think I've yet seen one that like totally nails it. Um, there, there was uh, that show. Everything is going to be all right. I heard a lot of right. Is that the one? I heard a lot of good uh, things yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Everything's going to be okay on the free form. Everything's going to be really, okay. That's yeah, it. I like that. Yeah. yeah, that that got canceled. I heard. So yeah. I heard I heard positive things about that. Um, but uh, you know, in the books, they're starting. There's a lot of books that are written by people on the spectrum, which is like a really great thing. I think. You know, there's so many books you can read about autism, but you get something really different and really raw and authentic when you read books that are written by autistic people. Um, again, Holiday Wiley's Pretending to be Normal is a seminal book. Uh, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, Temple Grandin, Thinking in Pictures, was one of the first, I think, that came out written by, by folks on the spectrum. And it is, you know, again, she is a product of her time, Temple, and the world has changed, you know, since that came out, certainly. But sure. um and then, of course, Carrie, you put out books that, you know, I know have been really helpful to a lot of people. And I and, myself am, you know, currently yeah. authoring a book yeah, no, um, called say, The you, Naughty Audi. Yeah, The Naughty Audi. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. I am so excited to read that book whenever it, it, it does come out because it's, you know, we, we I often talk about relationships, but what I think you've hit the nail on the head on, which a lot of experts really just don't even want to talk about is sexuality and i think you've kind of championed that cause within our autism community uh so i'm really excited to hear what you think about that topic specifically um some great recommendations temple grand sticking pictures was kind of one of the first ones i also read when i was 19 and mm -hmm. trying to disclose to more people about my autism mm -hmm. diagnosis so obviously we have the yeah. temple grandits of the world that we can follow who are some other autism advocates that you currently follow in the community who either inspire educate just all of the above really well there's a lot of amazing uh, advocates out there both who are on and off the spectrum uh, and of course, immediately one that comes to mind is my dear friend, Dr. Peter Gerhardt, who is an amazing man. Um, he, he is not autistic, but he has been working with autistic adults for over 30 years. And he, he is like the authority, as far as I'm concerned, on, on adults on the spectrum. And he's a passionate advocate. And he has, most importantly to me, the reason why I, I mentioned him is that he doesn't just work with autistic adults. He is friends with autistic adults. You know, he's not just seeing them as clients. Or, or patients or students, they're, they're friends, they're, you know, so he sees us as human beings. And I think that's just so important. It sounds like a basic thing, but it's not. <laughs> um, and he's one of my closest friends, consequently. Um, again, there's, oh gosh, there's just so many amazing people out there. Uh, Denny Bowman, who is also in Love in the Spectrum, she's great. I mean, she's has her own animation company and she, she's 
come so far in, in the years I've known her. Like she's just grown up in front of me. She was a little baby and now she's all like I know. woman sized. <laughs> it feels so weird because we gave her we gave her a scholarship when she was going to Woodbury. And now I'm just like, now she's on a show talking about being in relationships and talking to boys. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> How can people learn more about you and your journey? And what would you like people to know about you? Oh, gosh. So I guess, you know, because when I, I give presentations mainly on autism and sexuality, that's kind of my dedicated special area of interest and in research. But I present on other topics as well, you know, growing up on the spectrum and drinking into adulthood with autism. And I always try to emphasize the fact that this is a journey and that as far as I've come, I am still learning. Um, I, I, I dislike the word expert very strongly for this reason, because to me, expert is a static word that confers with it an authority that cannot be challenged. So I like the word specialist more because we're learning so much all the time about sexuality. We're learning so much all the time about autism. So I don't think any one person is a true expert in that, in that authoritative you know, sense. Um, and, and so I, I don't have all the answers and I want people to know that no one person does have all the answers. Right. And so that the most powerful thing that I, that I can say to any client I work with or, or any, or anything is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but let's find out together. Right. That's, what it's all about. It's about growing and learning together and, and, and all of us being on, on, on a journey in this way. Um, I love that. And to help those, yeah, to help those who are walking the path I was once on. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's also very humbling when you can say like, I don't know all the answers and you don't pretend to know all the answers because I know many experts in the community who, who really think of themselves in that way and oh, yeah. you know it's not doing justice for the community and we we like to oh. talk about autism and authenticity a lot you know let's just make sure that we're trying to do that Hi everyone, it's Stephen Gaber, the Autistic Traveler, and today I'm going to give you a tour of downtown Orange to see the vintage like this is. Have a good time. Orange Historical District is a one square plaza and contains many of the historic buildings that were created in Orange's incorporation. Orange is a vibrant commercial district that contains the original bank and oldest operation soda fountain. This historic district was placed on the National Register of Historic Districts in 1997 and is the largest National Register Historical District in California. The City of Orange was incorporated in April 6, 1888 during the city reform area of urban planning. Orange dates back to 1869 when were lawyers Andrew Chapman and Alfred Glassell accepted the land from Rancho Santiago de Santa Ana as legal fees. In the summer of 1871, Captain William Glassell drove a survey and called it Richland. Following this event, the Old Town District was found in this plaza. This town was originally called Richland and was changed to Orange in 1873 when they applied for a post office in the town, but discovered there was a town called Richland in Northern California. Legend has it that this town was 
named after during a poker game, but it was really based on promotional value. Oranges and other semi-crops were found at this town, which is probably why it got the name Orange. And they also were considering splitting this part into a separate part of Orange County, into two counties. Let me tell you why I'm visiting the antique shop so much, because it was my favorite highlight of the day. And I love seeing Robin Williams as the genie. You should buy that. Best looking Starbucks I ever saw. Wow, that architecture. And this architecture makes downtown Orange look amazing. Welcome to downtown Orange. One could take the Metrolink all the way from downtown Union Station in Los Angeles to Santa Fe Depot in San Diego. Much better than driving on the 5 freeway and take spending gas money. Wow, those gas prices are expensive. Wow, look at these antique cars. They're very nice old looking cars. Thank you for checking out the Orange Circle with me. I hope you had a good time. Oh look, a mariachi band trying to make money. Shops. Wow, this was better than I thought.